Section 4 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 7, August 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jason in Panama. Spotswood's Expedition of 1716 by Dr. William M. Thornton, Chairman of the Faculty of the University of Virginia. Nearly 180 years ago there was formed in the Old Dominion a prototype of the National Geographic Society. The governor of the colony, Alexander Spotswood, trained in Marlborough's legions and bearing honorable scars from Blenheim, was its head. Robert Beverly, the historian of Virginia, John Fontaine, the chronicler of their exploration, with Todd and Robinson and Taylor and Brooke and Mason, and other names famous in Virginian annals, were on the roll. The fortunate preservation of Fontaine's journal, and its publication in the Reverend Philip Slaughter's History of St. Mark's Parish, makes it easy to attempt a reproduction of the story of this historic ride. Ten of these Virginian gentlemen, with four Indian guides and two small companies of rangers, assembled on August 26, 1716, at Germana, on the banks of the Rappahannock, and set out thence to explore the passes of what they called the highest ridge of mountains. For this expedition, says the Reverend Hugh Jones, chaplain of the House of Burgesses, they were obliged to provide a great quantity of horseshoes, things seldom used in the eastern part of Virginia, where there are no stones, upon which account the governor, upon his return, presented each of his companions with a golden horseshoe, with the inscription on one side, Sic Juvat Transcendere Montes. Such was the badge of the early society of explorers, now called in Virginian story, the Knights of the Golden Horseshoe. One of these little golden memorials of that far-off time would be a highly prized treasure in our own day, when a lively interest in the history of our commonwealth renders precious every genuine relic of its heroic age, but all of them would seem to have perished. In that dismal effort to endow this charming story of Spotswood's ride with romantic and tragic interest, The Knight of the Horseshoe, by Dr. William A. Carruthers, is contained the following letter, which gives authentic evidence of the preservation of one of these ornaments to a late day but even this Carruthers himself seemed unable to secure. St. Julian, near Fredericksburg, Virginia, February 25th, 1841. To Dr. William A. Carruthers, My dear sir, I have received your letter of the fifth instance, and in reply to it I can only say what I said some years past to my friend George Summers on the subject of your letter. I said to him that I had seen, in the possession of the eldest branch of my family, a golden horseshoe set with garnets, and having inscribed on it the motto, Sic Juvat Transcendere Montes, which from tradition I always understood was presented by Governor Spotswood to my grandfather as one of many gentlemen who accompanied him across the mountains. With great respect, yours, Francis Brooke. Horseshoes alone did not make up their outfit there were saddle and pack horses in abundance great store of provisions guns and pistols and ammunition that they might replenish their commissariat with game and with true virginian hospitality and 
extraordinary variety of liquors used with generous and patriotic fervor. There were red wine and white, whiskey and brandy, two sorts of rum, champagne, canary, cider, shrub, and so forth, says the exhausted chronicler, and they were dealt out with a liberal hand. On September 6th, they ascended the peak of the Massanutten, fancying themselves at the summit of the continental ridge, and standing on this terminus of their journey, they dedicated their discoveries to His Majesty King George I. After a good dinner, they got the men together, fired a volley, and drank the king's health in champagne. Then came another volley, with the princess's health in burgundy, then another with the health of the royal family in claret, then a fourth with the health of the governor, and so perhaps continuing till even the youngest knight of their roistering round table had been honoured by his volley and his toast. Through all their expedition good fellowship and cheerful converse brightened the way. We arrived at a large spring, said Fontaine, where we dined and drank a bowl of punch, and again we made large fires, pitched our tents, and cut boughs to lie on, had good liquor, and at ten we went to sleep. And yet our convivial geographers did not shrink from hard riding and hard work. Their journey followed the course of the Rappahannock to its fork, and thence pursued the Rapidan to its sources, whence, passing into the valley of the headwaters of the James, they crossed the Blue Ridge at Swift Run Gap, descended the western flank, forded the Shenandoah, drank some healths, as by invariable custom, on the other side, ascended the Massanutten, and there celebrated the completion of their journey with joyous salvos and flowing goblets. The route was no easy one, as it wound its way through those primeval forests, untrodden save by the wild beast and the wilder Indian. An average day's journey was less than ten miles. We had a rugged way, writes Fontaine, on the 2nd of September. We passed over a great many small runs of water, some of which were very deep, and others very miry. Several of our company were dismounted, some were down with their horses, and some thrown off. On September 3rd, they came to a thicket so tightly laced together that we had a great deal of trouble to get through. Our baggage was injured, our clothes torn all to rags, and the saddles and holsters also torn. The axemen were constantly in request, clearing away the vines and briars to make a bridle path. But cheerful spirits and brave hearts carried them through every danger. Each night they would make large fires, pitch their tents, and after hearty feasting and cheerful talk, fall asleep on their rough couches of green boughs, keeping always a sentry at the governor's door. All their troubles were lightly taken. This was some hindrance, says Fontaine of one of them, and did a little damage, but afforded a great deal of diversion. Game and fish were naturally plentiful, and sport was thus added to the pleasures of their journey. From the beginning they had venison in abundance, which they roasted before their campfires on wooden forks and washed down with generous draughts of wine. Bears were killed almost daily, often three in one day. On the western slope of the Blue Ridge they saw the footing of elk and buffaloes and their beds turkeys abounded all along their way when they chanced upon neither deer nor turkeys they ate part of one of the bears which tasted very well and would be good and might pass for veal if one did not know what it was while they camped on the banks of the shenandoah writes fontaine i got some grasshoppers and fished another and i and we catched a dish of fish some perch and a kind of fish they called chub 
the others went to hunting and killed deer and turkeys there were rattlesnakes too to be killed and hornets to be fought and at least once the bear objected to the sacrificial rite attacking the man who rode after him and narrowly missing him he tore the things that he had behind him from the horse and would have destroyed him had he not had immediate help from the other men and our dogs so their expedition did not lack the spice of peril to season its hilarity two men fell sick with measles also and had to be left in camp with guards and taken up again on the homeward march but all in the end went well and after a ride of nine days out and four days back the gallant party reached germana once more the question has sometimes been raised whether spotswood's was the first company to attempt the crossing of the blue ridge and the exploration of the regions beyond john p hale for example in his trans-allegheny pioneers states that colonel abraham wood under a concession from the colonial governor richard bennett to explore the country and open up trade with the indians to the west crossed the mountains in sixteen fifty four probably at wood's gap far to the south of spotswood's line of march and again that governor berkeley in sixteen sixty six dispatched an exploring party under captain henry batt who followed the same route as wood hale offers no documentary evidence to support these claims and the writer has been able to discover none until thus authenticated they must rest in the limbo of unverified traditions and spotswood must wear his rightful laurels as the first white man with whose serious purpose led a company across this boundary of our colonial civilization and set the example so promptly followed by the hardy pioneers who faced the perils of the wilderness and built their homes in the fair valley of virginia what then were the serious purposes of this earliest reconnaissance of the blue ridge for of course the grave and sagacious spotwood was not the man to prosecute such a journey merely that he might say at the end we were very merry and diverted ourselves with our adventures the chief aim of my expedition he writes in seventeen eighteen to the board of trade was to satisfy myself whether it was practicable to come out at the lakes what he did was to trace the rappahannock to its source to identify the springs of the james to find an easy passage over that great ridge of mountains the blue ridge hitherto deemed impassable and then he fancied the problem solved and believed himself within easy reach of the streams which fed lake erie and her vast sisters we know now that he was misled by the indians and deceived himself that the great valley of virginia stretched before him untraversed that beyond lay the unscaled heights of the alleghanies and then the broad prairies of the northwest it was far from being such an easy matter as spotswood thought thus to gain possession of these lakes but the daring and martial spirit with such wildwood adventures fostered in virginian breasts was the spirit which sixty years later reared on american soil an everlasting altar to freedom which thrilled virginia's great orator when he cried i know not what other men may do but as for me give me liberty or give me death which inspired massachusetts noble statesman when he swore to abide by the declaration of independence sink or swim live or die survive or perish to recall this spirit and all that aided to nurture and strengthen it seems not inappropriate here beneath the roof of the author of that declaration in sight of his cradle at shadwell and with the birthplace of george rogers clark the hero of kaskaskia 
and Vincennes at our feet, for it was left with this hardy warrior to perfect in battle and in march the work which Spotswood's genial and jovial company had purposed peacefully to begin. End of section four.